this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode of Be Real is brought to you by National Geographic's limited series, Barkskins, starring Marsha Gay Harden and David Thewlis in an epic tale of survival, exploitation, exploration, and murder. Based on the New York Times best-selling novel by Annie Proulx, this series follows a group of outcasts and dreamers as they battle to escape their pasts while navigating the brutal landscape, competing interests, and tangled loyalties of the new world. Hailed as Engrossing by Vanity Fair and the next great TV epic by The Daily Beast, Barkskins is for your consideration in all categories including outstanding limited series. Visit www.natgeotv.com FYC or catch up on the full season now on Hulu. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life this is a movie podcast and we're the movie podcasters welcome one and all to be real on the playlist podcast network my name is chance solemn pfeiffer and i'm noah ballard we're thrilled to be here today for uh for i think a really heartwarming category for sure is your heart warm uh, yeah, I mean, I'm filled with like animated clay as it is. So sure. <laughs> this one was uh, particularly resonant to me. Because the movie Chicken Run is celebrating its 20th anniversary, I think you, me, and Nick Park are probably like the only people <laughs> celebrating. Um, yeah, we're, yeah, we're not only celebrating, we're, we're pumped. We're going to talk about Nick Park movies. He is the writer, director, and animator of Myriad Ardman Studios uh, features and shorts from the late 80s to present, um, including all the Wallace and Gromit shorts and then the feature length. Um, We're going to talk about Early Man, which is the most recent one. We're going to talk about Chicken Run. Uh, We might go back and talk a little bit about Creature Comforts. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do any Shaun the Sheep, but uh, we hope you'll still be satisfied. I mean, other than his... Entry point in A Closed Shave from 95. We will discuss that. Be Real, we should tell you, is uh, part of the Playlist Podcast Network. We hope that you like and subscribe and rate, please, wherever you get your shows, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher. Um, Other shows in the network that we recommend include all of them. Uh, The Fourth Wall Discourse, Defocus Podcast. Uh, Yeah, say hey. Why don't we start with the the introduction of the Wallace and Gromit and sort of their dominance of a very specific category of the Oscars. Sure. <laughs> I think the funniest thing about the A Grand Day Out, which is the first Wallace and Gromit 30-minute short animated film, 
is that it lost the best short film animated Oscar to the same guy for doing Creature Comforts. Right. Uh, which is another short film. And Chance, you I had seen that before, but you specifically rewatched it this time. What what was your feedback on on Creature Comforts? Creature Comforts is funny because it's a basically like a mockumentary style show about the life in the circus and or life around the circus through these talking head interviews with clay animals who are saying things you know it's sort of like that classic um wry understated nick park humor but some of them sometimes there's like barely a joke it's just like you know monkeys talking about like well i do get a bit nervous out there sometimes and then it's like very (laughs) it's very cute um it's also funny i think the most compelling thing about it is twofold um it's funny to see how much droller these movies were at the start um like they're they can just be very kind of like monotone and that's part of the joke like these are just these animals are voiced by boring but sentimental north englanders i can eat almost anything yeah i'm the same i won't refuse anything the only thing i don't eat is Turkish delight. <laughs> I like Turkish delight. So you can stand it. Yeah, I and like lychees. Yeah, what do I like? Oh, I think I, I like most everything. And then also just the specificity of the characters. Nick Park, whether he's animating an animal or a person, makes no attempt to make it be like photo real or something. Like they're always kind of like goofy cartoonish you know eyes set directly next to each other animals with human teeth like it never looks real but it's always very specific like the body language of the caterpillar somehow matches the voice actor being like i'm the caterpillar it's it's great that is funny so let me ask you because so i only made it to um close shave and wrong trousers um, was Grand Day Out robbed at the Oscars? Uh, a Grand Day Out is incredible. Uh, I mean, it's the first Wallace and Gromit one where they go to the moon because everybody knows the moon's made of cheese. <laughs> Classic. Uh, and yeah, no, Wallace, of course, loves cheese. Uh, and they just, they, there's this great scene where they're just like hanging out in the living room and they're like going through brochures and tour guides and stuff uh, for where they should go because they have a day off coming up. And Wallace just like looks at Gromit, who of course doesn't speak in any five of the iteration season. Uh, he says something to the effect of like, these darn bank holidays, they make everything so complicated. And then, of course, they run out of cheese and they decide to, with what they have lying around the house one afternoon, build a spaceship that takes them to the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they eat some moon stuff, which is cheese like they've never tasted before. And then they run into like a Wally type robot who's there on the moon to make sure people don't eat it the way Wallace is. Oh. Ooh. No crackers, Gromit. We've forgotten the crackers. We should say if you... I'm sure you can picture them if you have any familiarity with Wallace and Gromit. But in case you're uninitiated, um, Wallace is like your sweater vest wearing... Like just the most boring uncle you can think of if your uncle lived in Manchester. And yeah, Gromit is is his wordless dog, who's also a tech genius. 
Yeah. He's a bit of like a... He's a beagle. Not quite a football head, but... Oh, I was talking about Wallace. You go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Wallace is a bit of a... He's like a football head. He's like in that Hey Arnold's sort of gene Oh, I pool. thought you were saying he was a big soccer fan. You're saying his head looks like a f- no, American his, football. His, <laughs> his his head looks like an American football with like a periscope for where his his like nose and eyes go. Right. But Gromit's great too because it shows how like complicated the emotions they can express just with like clay movements to have him not speak at all. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the wonder of these Ardman movies and these Nick Park movies from the beginning is, you know, they get much, much bigger as they go, arguably too big at a certain point. Um, but you always come back to that fact that uh, simple human emotion or, anthropomorphized emotion um carries the day you just like really feel for these little inanimate objects that look in some cases just like you know they're they're no more showy in their human featurism than like dilbert they're very simple sure yeah but i think it's most resonant in dare i say early on one of the best Wallace and Gromit renderings, uh, the wrong trousers from then from ninety three, which is the second one, right. uh, in which the titular Wallace and Gromit are having financial worries, so they let a room out, uh, and this penguin who also doesn't speak moves in and begins to like gaslight Gromit out of his own home, uh, and then pull off this really well done heist sequence right making use of the wrong trousers which are, are they are i think what wallace describes as techno trousers um they're 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 ex nasa yeah sure remote control trousers that uh the penguin whose name i don't think they're good for walkies do you know that the penguin's name is feathers mcgraw the whole time or not until the very end when you see it in the newspaper not so like one of the last shots like the newspaper yeah um, but I think it's implied. Right. You should be able to tell from looking at him that his name is Feathers McGraw. He's like a real, because that's like the humor I think of these things is the way that they make animals that are cute, like super sinister right. through <laughs> like weird gesturing and like music cues. Like the when the penguin like claps after he sees that like grommets run off, yeah, is like so sinister. Uh, but he's otherwise like a really cute penguin, and everything he does, even when he pulls out a gun, it's cute. Sure. Well, and it doesn't hurt that Nick Park is very skilled with you know ambitious live action filmmaking techniques. The penguin, the rack focuses of like realizing the penguin is watching while asleep are very creepy and has nothing to do with claymation it's just like how you would shoot a horror movie where like the perpetrator was in the frame but you didn't know it what's happening i also think one of the fun things about the wallace and gromit universe is there's just like a limitless amount of space to build contraptions in. Oh yeah. You know, like whether it's the, the 
the mechanism that like puts on Wallace's clothes in the morning or like makes his breakfast or whatever. Um, and in this one, the real key scene is uh, the sequence on the the train. Mm-hmm. They introduce the train with like h- having it bring uh, the birthday gift in the opening scene, and then of course the climax is Gromit literally throwing down tracks in front of this toy train so as they're like speeding, speeding against this penguin with a gun. <laughs> I think that hits that sensibility hits something on the head of you know, all these Nick Park movies. So his his mother was a seamstress and his father was a like an architecture photographer slash amateur inventor. And I think that tells you everything about like the different sides of his brain and personality of setting all these stories in very sleepy places, but also like quite nonchalantly, like certain people are, and in this case, Wallace and Gromit are like really what I would describe as sort of like um, industrial revolution bat cave technology. Oh yeah. There is like a certain almost steampunkness to like some of the just, systems they just have set without up in the their punk. Basement. I don't know what you call it, like steam folk almost. <laughs> They're like steam dads yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Like acoustic. That's really steam, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I got to say the, the, when they steal the diamond though the sequence with him on the roof or on the ceiling going through that museum that is has in the same room a romantic painting and a dinosaur skeleton mind you yeah uh it almost reminds me of the zaz movies the zucker abrams zucker movies where it's so it plays well on the fact that these are all inherently like comedy noirs. Yeah. Like the first one's not really a noir and that's why I don't think it's maybe the best one. But then the rest of the Wallace and Gromit movies are all noir in some way. But it's also, it plays well to that, that satire of like, you can have like a pie be the reason that you like catch somebody or you can put like a, a penguin assassin in a milk bottle and it'll be fine. That's great. Uh, You want to jump into a close shave? Close Shave is also, I think, a really good Wallace and Gromit's, like, hitting all the the notes it should. In this one, you have these sheep keep going missing, and there's this great shot where they're, like, outside the house, and this, like, big, loud truck pulls up, and, like, a sheep comes off the truck and, like, bears its way into the house with Wallace and Gromit, and you see in, like, the rearview mirror this this like scary dog and this like terrified woman like right. decide not to go after the sheep and then the, the truck drives off uh and it really sets this ominous tone i mean this one's like you know it has these like sort of smoke and shadows through these alleys of this little you know uh this little town and then the idea of how and they'll get into this too with chicken run but the idea of how these sleepy little towns can pull themselves out of their current situation by letting industry come in Mm. and letting these horrible machines like take nature and like make it put it into cans so to speak 100 percent um in this one they have a a wash and go window cleaning service um incredible in the previous in wrong trousers they're just like looking for a job to do do they have a job in grand day out do they have a scheme it's unclear. They're on a they're on a holiday, so it's unclear what they're doing day to day. In Curse of the Were Rabbit, 
of course, they're pest control. They're security guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're pest control guys. Um, um, and then in the they're bakers in the the loaf loaf or death one. Yeah. I mean, who says the the gig economy didn't start in whatever this is 1959? Yeah. I mean, if they <laughs> if they're working on one now, they're gonna just be Lyft drivers. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I love they're the going people doing people's grocery shopping for them with like a, a crane arm or something. Out. You're not going to turn me into dog meat. Dog meat. Don't worry, Wendelin. I'm on my way. We've lost them. The dog, though, Preston is so striking Love Preston. in this movie. And it's so funny when you, I mean, you have the giant like tip off that, uh, you know, he was handed down from the woman's evil dad. But like when you start to realize that this dog who walks on two legs is running the show and the human woman is scared of him, it's a good turn. It is a good turn. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll save the final turn if you haven't seen it sure. before. We should say that all these movies or all these uh, thirty-minute shorts are uh, one season of television on Amazon right now that is included with Prime. I really like the machine that shears off the lambs and makes the wool and the yarn balls and stuff. That's such a cool thing. And then there's the best thing about these the universes of these worlds is that not only do you get to see the machines function well, but you also get to see them destroyed, right. which is also always uh, fun featured in this one. Yeah, yeah always fun. Great uh, to see some great. like critical nozzle get plugged up by something else. You you love to see a nozzle get plugged. <laughs> it's also funny how all these machines are machines are also like um like vertical integration machines. <laughs> it's just like you no longer right. have to have, you know, you don't one person doesn't shear it and then dye the wool and then make the sweaters. Like the machine just does all <laughs> five jobs. It's great. It does all of it. Yeah, and then could even turn the lambs into dog food. Spoiler alert. Let's talk about on a more technical level, if we can sort of the pleasure and maybe some of the boundaries of how Nick Park and company as animators, like show their work in these movies. Well, I think it's showing work on two levels. One that the animation is so clean by the time you get to, you know, 1995 uh, that I mean, that's just impressive. And then you have these great sequences of you know being in this this wild machine, or you know this one has a sequence with the, like a sort of uh, out of peanuts uh, Snoopy on the in the airplane kind of thing. Yeah, like the Red Baron bit. Yeah, the Red Baron bit. Um, and this has some great sequences too. But I think it's also in the writing and showing that these guys like made the amount of time available to write a compelling story and think about not just the things in the foreground, but the maybe even more on the things in the background. Yeah. I mean, I want to address so much of what you just said, because I think you're, you're really getting to the core of what like makes so many of these movies like good and interesting and, and stand up even as like, yeah, the mid nineties Wallace and Gromit features, like, I guess they look old, by sure by comparison to like contemporary animation but like whatever that really means like the weird thing about animation is um 
you know, it it doesn't the fact that it's like smoother and faster like definitely doesn't make it better. Um seeing no. the you know the fingerprints on the clay of Wallace's face is half the charm. It really is. Yeah. And knowing that not only will the book that Gromit's wearing be Crime and Punishment by Fido Dogstoyevsky, it will also be the Penguin classic version of it where the Penguin uh, icon oh, is the shit. Penguin from the previous movie. Feathers McGraw, you mean? Feathers McGraw, <laughs> minus the four-fingered uh, chicken hat that he's wearing. I wrote Fido... Do- that was the best part of that whole movie, I gotta say, is that nobody recognizes the penguin with a rubber glove on the top of his head as anything but a chicken until he takes it off. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, and then sometimes you're just like, I found myself in a wonder, like looking at, you know, how simple everything around it is and then just being like, how in the fuck did they animate the soap bubbles with not yes. a computer in sight? That must have taken so long. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and I... And how, like all these... And all these action sequences too, where you have like, you have like a dozen sheep on top of a little ladder on top of a moving motorcycle that's chasing a truck, and you have like all of that in the shot. Mm-hmm. I got a chance uh, last year to talk to uh, a woman who works at Leica Studios here in Portland. They made they made like uh, Coraline and Missing Link and Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh, sure. And Norman, um, and. She basically said, like, it was my job for a year to do one scene. Um, and I think just, like, as a as artists, as, like, a, you know, havers of a certain kind of brain, like, people who choose to work on this kind of stuff are just, like, beyond any definition of fastidious to try and... Do we need to explain, like, how time-consuming stop-motion, like, claymation is? I don't understand it well enough to even explain how uh, time-consuming it is, but I did read an interview with uh, Nick Park when he said that a good week for him is getting five seconds done. That's crazy. 120 photographs of like a... A A week. A a week. (laughs) That's so crazy. Can we talk about the writing? I mean, that is the other side of it, um, which is... Yeah. People are st- people are still employing claymation and stop motion and even just bogarting the aesthetic of stop motion in something like the Lego movie, which is not stop motion. They just they just animate it to make it look that way for whatever reason. Right. Um, this style still has um, some import and, and relevance for sure. Um, but it is the fact that the other part of Nick Park is the ability to have this like sensibility we've described and this wit. I mean, there are, as you said, like Zaz esque moments. There are moments where it's just like, that's just a great New Yorker cartoon that you, <laughs> that you wedged into your, yeah. that you wedged into your movie. Um, to have that voice in addition to that eye, I think is what makes this stuff so singular. For sure. And I think that was maybe what was attractive to transition slightly uh, about Nick Park and company by a big studio um, like DreamWorks, right. who then funded uh, Chicken Run. Mm-hmm. Our f- we finally made it to our first movie of the of the evening. Chicken Run becomes the highest grossing stop 
motion animated film in history uh, and comes in this very interesting run. I'm glad you alluded to it um, right away of like these DreamWorks hits. Like this is like a year before Shrek and like Katzenberg is, Berg is really feeling uh, himself. <laughs> and, and it's also a big movie too for the Academy because it was the reason that the best animated feature uh, category was created because they were really pushing this to win best picture in 2000 and they added it the following year for the then winner Shrek. Mm. Interesting. Um, so chicken run, were you like mad into this movie as a kid? Absolutely. As was I, I really, yeah, really liked this movie. Um, and I think at the outset, at least, um, a surprisingly relevant film for our times. Oh, wow. I think Chicken Run is the classic story of oppression. Okay. It's also maybe a pretty straight ripoff of The Great Escape, except for instead of Steve McQueen, wait for it, they're all chickens. <laughs> it is a chicken farm, after all. Uh, and they're the that's chickens. That's right. Let me go through the synopsis here. When a cockerel... <laughs> Mind your fucking mouth. Uh, I know. Yeah, when a rooster apparently flies into... I don't know why it's apparently. Who wrote this? <laughs> when a rooster flies into a chicken farm, the chickens see him as an opportunity to escape their evil owners. That's pretty right. That's pretty on the nose. Sure. Uh, I would argue so they've all these... been trying to escape before he arrives, though, Rocky. Ever wonder what chickens do when you're not looking? Operation Cover Up! No chicken escapes from Tweedy's farm! You've got to get out of here. attempt was a bit of a fiasco. These chickens are planning a little getaway. The plan is we go over the wire. <laughs> that might work. Now, they may have found their only hope. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You've been a wonderful audience. <laughs> the name's Rocky. And what brings you to England? Why? The limits of these chickens' existence is either they keep laying eggs consistently or they get eaten. Um, so the movie pretty quickly and in kind of an adult way really deals with death uh, in a way that I didn't think about when I was a child seeing this film. But I definitely did as someone who hasn't left my apartment in 400 years. Yeah, how unfair it is that you are you are executed and used for some other commercial means when you become obsolete yes it's uh it's disturbing it is very adult you're right um another thing about this movie that like really spoke to my both my child and adult self the moment i revisited it um was i love the thing in nick park movies where there's just so little talking in the first five minutes i mean the Hell the only yeah. thing that's said in the opening five to ten moments of this movie is Ginger being like, get back, when the other chickens are like about to try to get out through the fence. Um, and I love it because it is, it's not, 
it seems like a deliberate choice and an artistic choice. And you could look at it as a referendum on like really bad, you know, bounce off the walls, screechy, celebrity, farty kids movies. Um, But it doesn't come off as pretentious, really. It just comes off as a like, we've given you plenty to watch here. This is so engrossing. And I was immediately taken back to how I was when I was 10 of being like, you know, paying attention to the softness of a footstep or like, are they going to get caught? And it totally works. That's great. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point where it's not like from the entire cast of anyone who's ever been on SNL, here comes a movie with too much of a script. Well, this is a thing that Uh, Katzenberg like basically invents at Disney in the 90s and then pushes even harder at DreamWorks. But in this one, it's only, dare we say it, Mel Gibson. It's really only Mel Gibson and then people with British accents. But Mel Gibson doesn't, um, of course, they're... doesn't matter to this movie. No, he's just playing an American and like a douche. Right. Uh, which half of those are very accurate. Yep. But yeah, this movie really benefits from that Nick Park fascination with like the mechanics of things. Like this yes. movie really is reading quantum mechanics for dogs or whatever uh, Gromit has been reading in the past three short films to figure out how to, you know, how do you make the the plane out of the two chicken coops and make it look realistic to a child or a film goer and like pointing out how he's he's like made uh, certain concessions with like, oh, he's he's tied together like two of the scarves you've seen from a previous scene to like wind this wheel that does this. I, I think it's it's so smart the how on a subtle level you you see physical objects used or have two purposes in this movie. Right. And I, I mean, in no case can I say it seems realistic, but you're right there. There is something about the fake physics that is so pleasing to a brain where it's just like, well, of course he would flop over that way, because look at how that simple machine is going. I mean, and it just, it convinces you, even though it's totally ludicrous, that like, yeah, that's how a pulley works. Isn't that nice when a pulley works how a pulley should work? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Sure. And I also love, like, just the way I loved uh, the close shave machine, like seeing the inside of the chicken pie machine. Right is such a cool sequence. I mean, we can forget about the fact that at no point do the chickens get their feathers pulled off before they get baked into the pies, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. No. That's of little concern. The marketing game is strong. As Mrs. Tweedy said, uh, a woman's touch makes people comfortable, and that's a what's selling touch. the pies. Yeah, and I mean, Mrs. Tweedy is, I would say for me, one of the top animated film villains the thing at the end where she is you know climbing up into the plane swinging the axe is just embedded in my memory yeah it's very Cruella de Vil um but it's it's more grounded in this these movies are funny because they're grounded weirdly in a kind of realism so you get why she wants to use these chickens as pies like she's poor she tells you that you know her father was poor before her and probably his father before him and she just wants to rise above her station but that is somehow seen as like the evil thing right that oppresses this group of conscious living things uh 
It's a very pro-vegan film. This is a film that like really liked Jonathan Safran Foer's book on eating animals. I was so surprised to, I of course Googled, is Nick Park vegetarian? And he's not. Um, and in fact, I think he That's called so <laughs> um, Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were-Rabbit in which like all the set pieces are around like giant vegetables being destroyed. He called that one like a like a vegan hammer horror film. So like, I, yeah, it doesn't seem for someone who keeps going into saving the lives of small creatures. Like it's funny that he'll, he'll still partake in a, in a rotisserie chicken or something. Right. No, he's giving a personality to living things that we often don't think about as having personalities. Right. Like whether it's the dog, just like wanting a little, you know, respect for the things he does around the house. Uh, or whether it's a chicken wanting to live and not be put into a very, what it feels like America adjacent system of how we process meat. Uh, I mean, it seems horrifying. You'd think it would be the Bambi. I wonder if how many vegan people you can trace to like a crucial watching of uh, chicken run. Yeah. I don't know. Probably some. Yeah. There's gotta be a handful of those people. They've got a Facebook group. Just not the makers of the film. (laughs) Um, can we go back to please join people for whom chicken run was very meaningful um, can we go back to can we do some more amateur neurology for a second please I think there is like a thing I mean we've talked about this before with practical effects where I think they just work better for me because my brain can interpret that an object is filling physical space but there is something about like seeing the puppets and seeing the clay and thinking about Mrs. Tweedy swinging the axe burned into my memory, it's like the same way I feel about like James and the Giant Peach or oh, Henry sure. Selleck, you know, stop motion animation movies where it's like your brain files this away as something that happened to you because it did. You did. You saw it. I mean, you your brain saw those puppets doing that thing. And then it's just like the oldest illusion in the book where, you know, you flip the papers and it makes it look like it's moving. And that's just so... I don't know what it's like for a little kid watching, you know, like the first movie they see is Secret Life of Pets 2 or something. But I wonder if it just does imprint on their brain differently because this one feels deeply imprinted on mine. I really like when he's teaching them to, when Mel Gibson's Rocky is teaching all the chickens how to presumably fly so they can leave the the gated in area. Um, There's a really good sort of like getting into shape, uh, let's get down to business kind of thing. Uh, And then the chickens begin to like act strangely. And Mel Gibson's voice is like no longer giving them instructions. And it it turns out that he's getting a massage and he's just directing the masseuse. But then like all the chickens start spinning around because he says like in circles now, in circles now, oh, and a little bit lower and like whatever. That's just such a good, like that's playing with the, like the lines in the script with what they can do visually on screen uh, that I think is like really maybe underappreciated in some of these similar kids films. I got to give some love to Fowler, who is the... uh, Oh yes, and back in his RAF days. Vocal performances from Benjamin Wittrow, uh, who if you were raised by my mom, you would know as Mr. Bennett from the BBC Pride and Prejudice series Incredible. um but he just has like some great kind of like uh you know he's the old old birds had a few too many feathers plucked out over the years but um for sure has that real like chin up stiff upper lip 
uh, English Air Force. Also, I love the way in these like rural English communities, like the only thing they have to mark time, Nick Park would argue, is World War II. Like nothing has happened since then. Is the only reference point. For sure. <laughs> That's really funny. I really love the exchange that Fowler has with Ginger at the end where he's like in the back, like rowing with the rest yes. of them. And Ginger's like, why aren't you like up in the cockpit? Like, aren't you going to fly? And he's like, no, like I'm a chicken. I don't know how to fly. He a says, plane. good heavens. No, I'm a chicken. <laughs> but that's all. That's like a really funny back pocket joke in a lot of these movies, which is like you could Nick Park will anthropomorphize the animals so much, but he's like not afraid to wrap your wrist in a comedic way of being like, it's an animal. Like, what did you think it was going to do? <laughs> Yeah, fly a plane? Like they can't fly. They're 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 chickens. <laughs> you want to turn towards a rating here, bud? Yeah, let's tell people how we rate movies on this show. On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories: a good or bad for technical quality, and a good or bad for watchability. So, what are the four possible ratings? I don't care. Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. One small. Play our dangerous game. Good bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered, unfortunately, include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, Master. Got all that? Time for a rating. I think Chicken Run is an undeniable good good. It's... Absolutely. I really... I can't really, like, level any critique, um... Like, it feels old-fashioned, but only in a charming way, um, both in, like, what it is spoofing and, like, the style of animation. But, um, you know, like, yeah, it's not an even arc toward the present. Like I said, like, being able to tell that they are clay almost makes it more enjoyable. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I really love the visual aesthetic of it. Um, I think the story's got a good heart, too, and that it isn't one of these how many people can we cast in this movie kind of movies uh, that almost makes me like it more Uh, an undeniable good, good. And to those who really want to see more chicken run, apparently there's going to be a chicken run too. And chicken run is on Hulu, the original, by the way. Oh yeah. Totally free on Hulu. If you pay the money. (laughs) Oh, also um, the, Nick and Fletcher the rats having the chicken or the egg debate at the end of the movie is just fucking classic how long that goes on and how earnest they are. Very earnest. Also the fact that they think that a rooster is going to give them an egg. They really want one of those eggs. That's so funny to me too. The idea that the movie has its own sense of like, there's like it's gigs on top of gigs Mm -hmm. that like chickens would employ mice (laughs) to like get them supplies for things to to build their like escape plane it's pretty good indeed it is hi everyone Noah and i want to briefly interrupt today's show 
to ask for your help in continuing to support our black colleagues, neighbors, and fellow citizens in this watershed moment of protesting for civil rights, justice, and parity. If you're a listener with an interest in books, Noah would like to direct you to the City College and Association of Author Representatives Internship Scholarship, which allocates resources and funding to students looking to start their careers in publishing. As for me, I'd love you to support Don't Shoot PDX, a black activist and advocacy organization that's been doing incredible work to stifle and permanently end police abuses in Portland, Oregon. And because of our eternal Nebraska connection, we'd encourage you to honor the life of slain Omaha resident James Skurlock and consider a donation to his family. All links are in our show notes and on our website, berealpodcast.com. Finally, if you're not in the publishing world or not a Portlander or Nebraskan, seek out the leaders and organizations in your community who've been doing the work both this summer and for years upon years to protect, support, and elevate black lives. Thank you all. Shall we take to Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit? 2005. I remember being really confused as a like 15 year old who was no longer watching kids movies just like by the title Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were-Rabbit. It was one of my first experiences being like, I'm not on board with this intellectual property and it sounds so confusing. I probably never will be. But here we are. And I like those guys. Here we are. I got to say, the I mean, I'd seen the Wallace and Gromit shorts uh, at least the first three and chicken run numerous times. But when it came out, I did not see, and not until this week had I seen uh, the curse of the were Well, you were what? 17. You weren't going to this movie. Yeah. Fuck this movie <laughs> with its stupid animated it's bullshit. Shit. Yeah. Look at this kitty shit. Who's this guy? This fucking dog. Come over to my basement. Let's watch half Nelson. Oh my God. Yeah, I know that. That was, that was too real. <laughs> I'm on the way over friend. Um, yeah, so this, I think it's funny because I watched... It also does the thing we just complimented Chicken Run for not doing, which is mercilessly reviving a piece of intellectual property and then getting, like, Helena Bonham Carter and Rafe Fiennes uh, just to, like, give... Like, who cares about that? I think the... I think their vocal performances are good, um... But yeah, I don't know. By today's standards, it still feels like, that's cool. Helena Bonham Carter's got a great voice. Like, whatever. Okay. Maybe I'm more enraged than you are at the outset here. I think you are. Um, This one is Wallace and his loyal dog, Gromit, as they set out to discover the mystery behind the garden sabotage that plagues their village and threatens the annual giant vegetable growing contest. Now, the creators of Chicken Run are back with the pair that started it all, Wallace and Gromit. Gromit, old pal, I'll need assistance. Ow! One's an inventor. Just a bit of harmless brain alteration, that's all. Who never says die. Full suction. The other is his dog, who never says anything. At the outset, this one was sort of off-putting to me also because in all of the other uh, episodes of Wallace and Gromit, the world is so small and sleepy. And in this one, it's like a fucking rager from the start. He's got 
neighbors in every direction, 15 people deep. And they've got this like incredibly vast security network set up to keep these large vegetables from being damaged. And it just didn't feel like sleepy north of Manchester from the outset. Sure. I watched this one first and had never seen any of the others. So I wasn't as bothered by that. But yeah, in retrospect, um, they do have to change certain tones just to get to a feature length film. Like they're pretty high right. tech in this one. I mean, for God's sake, they're they're pretty high tech. They're Batman Forever <laughs> style, like melding brainwaves. Well, that's the thing too, and what I sort of noticed at the outset as well is that I don't think the premise for this one is as cute. If anything, it's like a little cruel to try to tell rabbits that they like shouldn't be eating the thing that their DNA biologically tells them they should be eating. It's just a bit of harmless brain alteration. And I think the movie, I mean, with a line like that, the movie knows that its premise is maybe a little suspect. What? Come on. You really felt on behalf of these rabbits? Yeah, because I feel like the other ones, the tone, the other movies, at least the other Nick Park movies set is that like animals are these unsung defenseless things that like we are mistreating mostly because we don't realize it but like we need to be more whatever and that you know whatever ends up happening in this movie happens you know sort of speaks to that but i just thought the idea of brainwashing rabbits to like do to stop doing one of their three functions like just didn't it didn't have the same charm as like going to the moon for cheese. Wallace and the people who underestimate the animals are always punished. And when he believes himself yeah, to be right. Victor Frankenstein, he uh, gets turned into the wolfman or the were-rabbit, as it were. I guess you're right. And maybe after 10 years of being an inventor, you know, Wallace has become more cynical and less aware of the universe he occupies. I think that the, maybe he's, I think even the basic mechanics of their house are more cynical. Like they now have these different mechanisms, not just to give Wallace breakfast, but to trick each other into losing weight and then to get their cheese anyway. (laughs) I do think this movie does have some positive things from the larger budget and the longer Length And like you mentioned at the top of this movie, the tech is really where it grows. Like I really love even the effort they put into just the car going to that woman's house to initially assess the the rabbit problem. Like, you know, there's that low camera angle where you see kind of like the tire screech Mm -hmm. and like how quickly they get there. When in previous movies, it was just a character saying, oh, you got here so quickly. I think there are like some real statements of ambition that I think still work in pretty decent harmony with the with the claymation. Um, the bullet time effect on the golden carrot at the end um, is pronounced, but I don't think it's like I don't think it's crazy. I don't think I, you don't look at it like not to tip my hand on early man, but it's like some of that movie is just like you cheated. Like why did you even make this claymation? Right. No, this movie still has the fun with the the background there. Like, I really love the fact that the house now has a picture of all their customers. And every time someone threatens their plants, like the eyes in the picture light up. Yeah. 
that to me was such like an interesting system they have in play to be like, oh, it's that guy's house because it's literally that guy's eyes. Yep. <laughs> and they came back to my favorite joke where like uh, you're reminded or almost reminded that the animal is an animal. Like I love the part where Wallace talks down to Gromit when he's he's going to go in and see, um, what's your name? Lady T played by Helena Bonham Carter. Lady Tottington. And he... Wallace turns to Gromit and is like, you stay here where you belong. Um, but Gromit drove him there. <laughs> it's like, you're a dog. You stay You stay in the dog right. house. And it's like, your dog drove you to the house. Also, a great Zaz style bit is um, where Victor, the Rafe finds hunter, goes to see the priest to tell him about the were-rabbit. Um, and the priest says, everything you need to know is in this book. And He's like, this book? And it's a nun wrestling magazine. (laughs) (laughs) I like the one, too, where he's at the... They're at the restaurant. Uh, No, it was after the the bun vac uh, takes his toupee off. Uh, He goes over to Wallace and he's like, I want toupee, please. And Wallace (laughs) goes, oh, grand, we take checks or cash. Yep. Some wordplay for sure. But this movie just, like, doesn't have the weird of, or the teeth, really. Like, it, you don't, like, this is just Beauty and the Beast here with, like, Gaston, you know? And it's so clearly a ripoff of that. And then, like, it's the love interest, you know, from the previous close shave episode um, of this woman sort of taken by this masculine force that she, mm-hmm. like, can't date Wallace because of it. Um, that... It's just not super surprising and really doesn't play into the like more fun noir tropes that the other episodes really get into. Um, but what do you think of the rabbit itself? Like that's supposed to be kind of like the funny big goof the way that the electric dog is in the previous one. I think it's pretty good. I mean, I don't think they're doing noir. I think they're doing like gothic i think they're doing doing gothic horror horror. yeah Yeah. um i think uh it looks fantastic um again like how they do that kind of thing i guess the thing that maybe isn't compelling about it is that it's a really fine balance of tactility that makes these movies so interesting and when you have a monster that's that big they almost like can't interact with vegetables and gardens in that like really like micro way you want them to that makes these movies really sing so maybe that's kind of a bummer yeah i guess too you know with all the security systems in place too at all these houses and all their gardens and stuff it almost felt like too realistic like with the previous movies like they didn't need spacesuits to be on the moon you know all the museums just had all the famous stuff in it. This one, it almost seems like too much attention has been paid to like how it would really work. Uh, even though the premise of course is like so ridiculous that like a rabbit or that Wallace would turn into a rabbit and vice versa. Sure. Um, but I do kind of, I'll give them comedy points for the rabbit that turns into Wallace because that's, that's a, so funny. That is so funny. When the you know they're having an absolute crisis of the transformation as Wallace is turning into the were rabbit and like Victor's about to bust down the door and the Wallace rabbit 
just says, I am wireless. And it's like going to bed. <laughs> it's just like turning in for the night. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so good night, Gromit. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so tickled by it even now. Um, That's a pretty good thing. I think this movie definitely has its good moments in it. Um, I don't know. To me, though, it felt like giving a sitcom 90 minutes of our time. And That's it, fair. It, that the the utility that one needs to employ to make like something that's 30 minutes long is just like such a different sensibility to my mind than making a feature length movie like i think the wallace and gromit clearly like inspired the chicken runs of the world but i don't know that that means you then need to go back to make a wallace and gromit movie fair enough i'm still probably gonna call it good good though i think i'm gonna call it uh good bad i think i'm like glad that i saw it i think it's well made i think it's you know beautiful to look at but ultimately it like doesn't have the same fun to me as the original three do you want to talk about um matter of loaf and death before we get to early man did you watch that i did so yeah matter of loaf and death this is three years after the were rabbit uh they go back to the 30 minute format uh, for Wallace and Gromit, uh, currently finds them in the gig economy, making bread in the morning and giving it to different both. They're they're both consumer facing and distribution facing, which is incredible. Do they do any B two B work? I think well, yeah, they're doing B two B, but also B two C. That, how impressive! Their supply chain can't be beat because they're both giving to the places that buy it and then the people who would buy it anyway. It's unclear why they would do both. We don't have to waste time on that, Nick Park though. is obsessed with vertical integration. <laughs> this episode then goes back and becomes, I think, more adults in a shorter format and employs the the existence of a serial killer that is picking off bakers uh, oh. for whatever reason. Um, and it's clear from this pretty ominous prologue that the baker knows the person who's killing him. Uh, And that's the 12th one. And so Wallace and Gromit are like pretty, I I guess they're, they're not that concerned about all these bakers being killed. And then of course, Wallace runs into, but are you telling me, and I haven't seen this, if Wallace is murdered, that'll make a baker's dozen. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So much so that one of the characters says you i needed my baker's dozen as a reference to him murdering or Got him it. being murdered um okay. so he runs into the former bake Olite spokesperson played by sally Lindsay, uh and they have a romance that becomes pretty serious and affects the uh wallace's relationship with gromit similarly to the penguin from the wrong trousers um, in that Gromit keeps trying to warn Wallace that his girlfriend's an evil serial killer. And Wallace is like, you silly dog. We're going to, this woman's moving in with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, then it turns out that the, the Bako light spokeswoman was actually the killer she was almost like a Norma Desmond type character who was forced out of her 
a role as the Bakelite spokesperson because the whole image was her getting on an airplane or no, getting in a hot air balloon. But because she ate so much Bakelite bread that they couldn't put enough whatever into the balloon to make it rise. So they had to replace her. Wallace and Gromit are back. We're on a roll, lad. And they've got a new business. I'm in bread myself. Really? But this time... Oh, dear. It's no piece of cake. Another baker. Banker with his own rolling pin. The heat is on. And it's not just the dough that's rising. Don't worry about me, lad. I'm fully in control. Get ready. On my way, Gromit. For action. I've got a bomb in me pants. Romance. And a whole new breed of hero. Because this time... Go for the knockout! For Wallace and Gromit, it's a matter of loaf and death. Where does it fit in for you? In terms it's not of that Wallace good, and Gromit, though. Like? Oh, okay. It's not that good. It, I think, makes the same mistakes as uh, the Rabbit in that... It focuses too much on like looking really pretty and not enough on like the tone of it or like the clever writing in it. And it falls back on like some of the Wallace and Gromit gaslighting and weird relationship stuff. Um, Yeah. Wait, what year does that come out? That was 2008. So right before that, you have Aardman severing ties with DreamWorks, um, which they said was amicable, but there's also like reporting elsewhere that like they were worried that DreamWorks was trying to Americanize their thing too much and just couldn't deal with the like really specific pastoral British um, witticisms of the of their movies, which might be actually borne out a little bit in Curse of the Were Rabbit, which is like you said, just like a much more universal. I think it's still very oh, yeah. English, but it, it's very you know, English, it definitely, but it's. Yeah, it's I broad, think Where Rabbit and it's is, for kids. is yes, it's broad, it's for kids. It's definitely a studio movie. Um Loaf and Death does feel like a pushback on that. Uh, but I I think Early Man then feels like a total reversal of, you know, how what demo they're kind of going for, but then also like trying to do something that's playing with historical stuff and like sci fi in a strange way. It's interesting, but it's, but early man is extremely English. Um, and it's just interesting to see like the pool that it's playing in financially when it's not attached um, primarily to a behemoth like DreamWorks was in the early aughts, um, where early man has a $50 million budget is distributed basically by Studio Canal UK and makes about $50 million. Like, so they probably lost a little money on that film once you put in the advertising um, yeah. Where, I mean, Chicken Run is a juggernaut and Curse of the Were Rabbit was quite successful. For sure. Yeah. And this one, too, I guess, like, it's it's unclear to me just from the opening of this, frankly, from watching the trailer for this movie when it originally came out, is who is this movie for? Like, is it for children or is it for that, like, artsy kind of literary indie house studio canal kind of viewer and then how do you how do you market a movie like this because honestly go ahead why do you think that chick something like chicken run though 
doesn't have that problem because there's always been super adult things in these movies especially in the wordplay and the humor and the references like why i'm genuinely curious what you think why does a movie like this struggle with what is an age-old balance in the movies well because i think chicken run is ultimately trying to make a movie like the the great escape or something um which is a movie for adults into a movie for kids using uh the their lexicon through these animated figures with early man it feels like here's a movie for kids that we're trying to make for adults and the movie for kids is it ultimately is like a sports movie in a strange way it's almost like it's the origin of soccer which has nothing to do with the title or really nothing to do with the way that they positioned this movie and it was also it was up against the that other the one that from the portland based studio that was also about like cave people crudes yes which was an ardman uh idea and property and it got kept dreamworks had the rights to it when they left it does yeah so it feels like a crudes thing but it also feels like a crudes thing meant for i guess this like the people who liked chicken run but that movie was like 20 years earlier just a little bit more, Hubnub. Got it. For Doug and his best friend, Hognob, every day was great. Morning, Barry. Mr. Rock coming hunting today. Wouldn't miss it for the world. And every night was a party. Until the day. Everything changed. To the Badlands! The Edge of Stone is over. Long live the Edge of Bronze. Real quick, we should just say that uh, Crudes is not a Leica movie, but um, but it did originate with uh, with Ardman. And yeah, it, it, Early Man just does have that feeling of like somebody, it has that feeling of like a band who were like, yeah, we wrote this song like 12 years ago and we were just like, we think it's really good, but we were just like waiting for it to click. And then instead of it never clicking because like 12 year old songs don't click, you just like push it out and you'd be like, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> like we did like the song. Early right. Man kind of has that feel to it. And maybe if we can get Eddie Redmayne and Tom Hiddleston and Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones and Timothy right. Spall. Oh, and I, you got to give it to Rob Brydon. He's doing so much work here. Brydon is the best. Yeah, as the... As so, both commentators, right. Brian and back, Brian, trading back bad jokes. But I also think, like, I love Rob Brydon, um, but I do think like the humor balance is just like ever so slightly off. So even things like the Man United joke, which you know is coming the entire time because of yeah. Early Man, and they're in like what would become Manchester. Um, it doesn't make sense that a commentator would say like, it's Man United, little joke there. It's just like, but that doesn't, the logic doesn't check out, even in the weird logic of these movies. It's just like, but you wouldn't know that you were making a reference to something that doesn't exist. It's like, even the jokes about I'm just a chicken, like don't quite land when they break that wall. Right. Yeah, th- but I don't know that this movie ever figures out like what the final 
like chicken joke is like that they are cavemen up against the people of the bronze age like doesn't that's not like inherently funny stone age v bronze age that's not funny to you not on its face i mean like chickens escaping from a chicken farm is funny to me but like there was no point at which the bronze age played like a like a spiritual soccer game against the (laughs) cavemen who were still hanging out in the valley next door to decide like what was a better path to to go down in terms of social constructs Hmm. i don't know i just don't get the i don't get the joke and maybe i also don't get like the soccer stuff at the end of the day it plays it really really straight as a sports movie yeah it's people have to do this sports thing in order to get x they like struggle to come together as a team they come together as a team then they're told that like the main conceit of them coming together as a team is a lie and then they come together anyway yeah one wild card yep yeah and i don't even know that for a movie that is you know full length at an hour and 29 minutes you even know that much about the supporting characters, like at least in Chicken Run, like you kind of know which chicken is which and you kind of check in with all of them. With this one, it's like, oh, there's a caveman with a rock and there's the caveman without the rock. It's true. Yeah, we didn't give any love to Mac, the Scottish mechanical whiz who talks about thrust. Um, thrust. You need thrust. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good part. Uh, but yeah, they are kind of distinct. And uh, Bunty, I think, is one of them, and Babs. Um, but yeah, this they don't like stand out that much in this. I like Hognob, the wild boar who replaces Gromit, basically, and is voiced by Nick Park himself. Like, I can get into that. But you only um, know his name is Hognob because Eddie Redmayne says it every time he addresses Hognob. Is that you, true. Hognob? <laughs> um. Yeah, it's true. There, so there are definitely like still clever things. Like Real Bronzio is is clever. Um, I like <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the instant replay that's just like the medieval puppets that can be manipulated to show whatever his lordship like wanted the play to look like is a very yeah. funny thing. And I actually think also like a you know we keep giving these movies credit for more piercing social themes and i did like feel a little bit of you know just a hair like a rankled betrayal over like yes he who controls the, the state controls the media <laughs> people will you know there definitely it. is some some fake news commentary in here yeah. but both in the side of uh Nuth, the like evil king but also in the idea of even if those paintings say that we fail like those are just paintings. We can make up our own truth. Now go get your gun kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't go that oh. far. Oh, boy. But, okay, so let's talk about whether this movie really benefits from trying to hold to the claymation tradition. Well, this also, like, doesn't... I was so disappointed because it, like, doesn't have a lot of the good, like, trap doors and, like, things going on tracks and, like, tubes and there's no real chicken pies here. I mean, like, I think the most fun that they have 
that Nick Park has a, as a visual storyteller is really like moments with the gate closing. And it's like, okay, it's like a get smart five level gate. But like, where's the, like, we don't even really get to see much of the mining operation too, which I felt like at the outset when they mentioned a mine, I was like, oh, there's going to be, you know, a fucking cart on a track sequence. A la, uh, point. How is that not in here? Yeah, the Temple second Indiana Jones. Yeah, Temple of Doom. I mean, even all uh, uh, the you know one of the seminal Wallace and Gromit's with the with the track. Like that's something. Whatever. I just don't think animation to do like you know a, a sports sequence. I mean, sports sequences are hard enough to do with real actors in real life, but like watching Clay. Like you, me believing that Clay is not only accomplishing a great sports feat, but then not believe in physics enough to think that the guy can fall down three sections of stands and then just be like, oh, that hurt. Yeah. You know, what's the, you know, you gotta, if, if you're going to do Space Jam, you gotta have at least half the people there be real. I'm with you. Yeah, it's, it was just there were moments where it was just too obvious that they were leaning on CGI, and I don't want to be like a purist about it. Like, I mean, I like I can get into be a CGI fucking anime. purist. It's it looks shitty when the when the clay guys are on a foreground of of clay, and then the the background is clearly like CGI fire. It just feels like this process is so taxing and beautiful and miraculous and when done right you are feeding off the glory of how taxing and beautiful and miraculous it was that when you change it up especially people who were like the foremost claymation animators and directors of like the 90s and the 2000s it's just like i i, I mean i can't I, I don't feel like you sold out necessarily but like, why did you go away from the thing that made you great with, like, only right. a vestige of the thing that made you great? Well, the thing that made you great was how you clearly can't show all the things the real world has to offer, like, through stop-motion animation. So you figure out a clever way to hack it. And seeing those clever hacks is, like, part of the joy of it. This one, right. to me, just feels like any number of dozens of children's films in this like half animated half cgi space that like so what so who cares i can't say that i like disliked watching this movie it goes down very easily it's very short um there are like clever jokes that still kind of carry the day for me in terms of like you know we could we could throw out a couple more of the uh the villager in the marketplace being like slice bread. This is the greatest thing since. And then he just pauses forever. Or like <laughs> you'll be suspended for the rest of the season. And the camera goes, and there's up the guy the suspended yeah. from the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the bits are still good. So I'm going to give it a bad good. I think this one's going to be a bad, bad for me. I thought Ooh. this one, even at being a, a buck 29 was still kind of boring. Uh, I mean, I'm happy, happy I saw it in the context of recording a podcast with you, Chance, as I often am with films that maybe are not <laughs> designed for me. Um, but this one, yeah, I don't think I'll return to it, nor do I feel it was a like a well-made movie. I think it cheated on some of the, the effects stuff, and I don't think that the... If you're going to wait 10 years to put out a movie, like, work on the script a little, man. Sure. Just have a better idea for a... 
for a premise, even if you use this premise. Yeah, it's I mean, it's the it's the thing of like, if this song's been a B-side in the wings for 10 years, like it's not going to get better. It's a B-side in the wings. Yeah. And if you're really going to like go for whatever new identity you have as like a now DreamWorks lists production company uh like make a weird movie like that thing fucking charlie kaufman made about like the sad people in the motel or whatever anomalisa have you seen that i haven't seen it i have it's uh it's certainly very compelling and it's certainly very not affiliated with a major studio for sure so yeah which is what you want take a swing like that but yeah i think this one's a bad bad well yeah we'll see what the future has in store uh really a very interesting guy and uh i this is why i love doing this show like this is a body of work i never would have considered in close to its totality and uh here we are absolutely yeah uh sometimes you just got to talk about a guy who does creative projects where on a good week they get five seconds of film done and they release a movie every 10 years uh but yeah i really enjoy it has a great heart, and I really, it was a nice distraction uh, going to animated films for at least a week. Um, who knows? This may just be an animated film podcast going forward. The uh, I was joking with you that like I watched so much Nick Park and so much Spike Lee in the same weekend. I really felt like I had like multiple personality disorder or something. Where like one part of me was like Lawrence Fishburne in School Days, being like, "What." wake up and then the nick park was just like that's okay gromit go to sleep (laughs) it sounds similar to the identity crisis our country is having at the moment chance donate to the orgs that you find in our show notes by the way Um, please do and noah sir always a pleasure to discuss movies with you regardless of what's going on outside and hey i don't think we can let this episode go without asking the classic noah ballard question which one of us is wallace which one of us is gromit I was wondering if you were going to ask about this. Um, I think that I'm Wallace. Yep. Gromit here. Shutting my mouth. I think you're like the more stoic. You're the more stoic one who like, you know, when I don't do the thing, you do the thing. So I don't die. I'm talking with my beagle ears. I'm talking with my beagle ears. Okay, buddy. All right, bud. Talk to you soon. flip, flop, and fly. I don't care if I die Don't ever leave me Don't ever say goodbye